But yeah. the MVP fucking phone beeps, dude. Oh, so yeah. Go, I'm <laughs> dialing. I'm dialing. Get off the thing. Are you on the... And it's like... I love that. It was so, yeah. it's such, it's like a, you know what it's like? It's like nightmare logic. It's like, aren't you on the phone? And it's like, I thought you were on the phone with me. And it's like, dee, 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 dee. what's the number <laughs> dialing? It was yeah. great. And Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. It's one fucking hour time. I'm Evan Husney, and this is the show, of course, where we got one fucking hour to talk about one goddamn movie, and uh, we got Tom Fitzgerald in the house. Tom, what's going on? Hey, one fucking hello. There we go. Hi, hi, hi. And of course, to my right, we got Mr. Marcus Herring. Marcus, what's going on, man? What's up, guys? I'm feeling pretty good about tonight because it's it's fucktober already, right? Oh, it it's well, actually... It's, uh... In New York, One? it's fucktober. It is. That's but right. Not, in LA, it's regular old uh, fucktember still. <laughs> yes, it is. But this is what we're calling one fucking tober. Okay, this is the start of our horror movie blitz for the month of October. So Ooh. get get it straight or pay the price. Um, and. Okay, yeah, one fucking tober, but here we go. We're going to be uh, covering every week from starting now to the next three weeks. We're going to be uh, covering horror flicks here, horror flicks here on the show. Yeah. And uh, we're starting off with a banger uh, with uh, George A. Romero's 1976, uh, maybe released in 78, uh, but Martin, okay, right? Isn't that what we're doing? I yeah. hope so, because that's uh, I'm loaded for bear on uh, Martin. <laughs> okay, we got all yeah. the Martin Lawrence jokes out last weekend for those we who are just tuning in. So. Yeah, we processed that already through our system. <laughs> you know, yeah, we did. Um, but there's also a little other minor milestone here before we start that clock, guys. I checked this, and uh, this week is officially the one fucking year anniversary of the show. So big congratulations. Aww. And so thanks cool. to everybody who's been tuning it tuning in over the last cool. year. We appreciate you. Thanks so much. You're awesome. Yeah. Uh, we got many more years. We're just glad we're just glad that anybody's ever watching and we really do we do appreciate it, you know? Because yeah. we're not just like yelling into the void. Actually <laughs> 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 like communicating with fellow human beings. That's cool. And yeah, we're very, no. I, I love it. We, we saw right. it a twelve month uh, cycle, man. We did it and yeah, there's more coming. Um, lots of titles, lots yeah. of cray cray. You know, yeah. birthdays are coming. You know, again. <laughs> I already got my birthday pick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Another round time. of birthday flicks. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. first year in the can. We went online in October 2021 on October 5th with um, with our first, very first episode, Deliverance. And now here we are, October 2022. Let's do. Let, let's kick it off. George A. Romero's Martin, episode forty-two, y'all. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna start that clock right now. Here we go. All right. Hey. Just a little bit of uh, the usual background on this week's film. <clears throat> All right. Martin is George A. Romero's micro-budgeted psychological vampire film from 1976 which is the portrayal of a lonely, isolated young man and his fight with inner demons and vampiric lust. 
He's the type of vampire that attacks his victims gracelessly and with hypodermic needles and razor blades in order to satiate his blood-drinking compulsion, while also coming to terms with the conflicts of his family and the dark history that surrounds them. All right, Tom. So here we go. We're talking Martin here. Um, I, I think we should kind of put this into uh, the context of George Romero's films, because most people know, you know, his right. work is very zombie centric. And I think this movie kind of steps outside that. So I think we yeah. should maybe set start with that. Yeah, well, uh, indeed, this is uh, right in the middle of the 70s and um, right between the big, chunky Night of the Living Dead in 1968 and then Dawn of the Dead, you know, 1978, 1979. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was kind of stumbling after the surprise success of Night of the Living Dead. And he made some very strange films, um, like uh, There's Always Vanilla, which I'm promising myself soon that I will be watching that. <laughs> 1971, it's, guys, the title is There's Always Vanilla. I'm <laughs> saying. I don't right? know what's going on there. All I'm right. saying. Okay, so at the time, 71, it was a big bomb. And then he did the very interesting and more well-known um, Season of the Witch, oh, yeah. Hungry Wives, Jack's Wife, I think is the other title. I like and, that. Uh, that bomb, too. But it's very cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. And there's some actually some similarities with uh, Martin sometimes as far as like uh, interior house horror, <laughs> you know, um, totally. but yeah, that was, but that was another flop. And then he did, um, the crazies, which is returning thematically very much into Doomsday. things in the fields. Yeah. And like things in the fields that are conspiring to kill you and the fighting back with the military and stuff. And, uh, I saw that a lot as a kid, it was on TV, like every fucking weekend it felt like, and I know every second of it. And I love it. You oh know, wow! Heaven help us! Yeah, I love that movie, and it's great. And but it was another flop. It didn't do that great. So he had that company, a latent image, and they just went bankrupt. Like he was in the red hard. Totally, like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, around this time, and it was sad. So he started doing. He was commissioned to do, um, you know, because he had a commercial uh, history. He he did ad stuff in the mid '60s before Living Dead, and so he kind of went back to it. And he started doing like these cheap sports docs. That would get you know uh you know thrown off to like abc sports and he did one on oj simpson the juice is loose yeah the juice yeah. is loose wow yeah. that's that's what he did right before uh martin wow. so um got in touch with uh, that rubenstein guy who's i guess somewhat controversial but um yeah. rubenstein saw, saw some promise and said okay latent image went bankrupt they're gone <clears throat> and then they did um ah, why am i forgetting the name they did a new company uh, and so um, they, I think were, or he was, Romero was thinking like, okay, let's do the sequel. Let's get back to basics and do Night of the Living Dead 2. And uh, I think they wanted to get a better budget and they were sorting that out. So in the meantime, they did this really low budget movie. Martin's really low budget. Yeah. And we'll get into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so uh, he did that. It didn't do great. Uh, it did okay. I, I have a tiny personal uh, experience. Um, I'm, I'm in New York City in the summer of 1978 with my mom because we're looking to like move from Los Angeles or California to New York. And I see at the Waverly because we're in the village and I was such a mental kid about movies that I saw it said Martin at midnight and I went, what at midnight? Like there's a horror <laughs> movie called Martin. I didn't know Night of the Living Dead. And I was just like, why is there, why is it Martin? Martin, the, like Frankenstein, Dracula and Martin. And so I never forgot that. Yeah, yeah. And, and so that's at the Waverly, which is now the IFC Center, which is yeah. a horrible new right? Yeah. So uh, it stayed there for like two years, and 
the big one of the big problems with Martin was um, Libra releasing. I think it was called. They had two big holdings: Martin and a little movie called Eraserhead. And Eraserhead totally ate Martin's lunch. It was just no comparison, and it faded fast and hard. Yeah. And it's a, it's a strange sort of difficult film, Martin. And, of course, we're going to talk about that. So um, Martin was obscure, and then, and as we all know, he hit the ground running. And Dawn of the Dead is the phenomenon. I think yeah. we even did an hour on it. You know, we sure so, did. And but but I will say this: George has a lot to say, and he has said it's his best work, and it's the favorite of his own film. So yeah, which is interesting. Um, yeah, because you know, um, and and I think you know more into my generation in the DVD era. That's where I kind of come in. You know, by that yeah. point. <clears throat> A lot of the gore hounds, you know, the horror movie Fangoria crowd wasn't so hot on this Martin movie, you know, because they're all about, you know, the zombie flicks and everything. And so this movie also kind of got exploding. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And this movie kind of got lost in the shuffle. But I do remember being kind of a, you know, completist, you know, and being so into Romero that grabbing it and it made a huge impression on me because there's some really kind of fucked up, insane, weird imagery and scenes in this movie, you sure. know, um, that that just that, great that filmmaking. Looks, there is, yeah, no, of course, and it always kind of stuck with me as like, man, that is a really cool flick, you know, and that is really. Uh, well, it's, it's one of those little gems. Yeah, you know, there's the big directors, and they make the big stuff, and then there's sometimes these little like, oops, you know. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> we were saying it's not great, but like After Hours is sort of that for Scorsese, sort of. It's sort of an, another example, or right. like, uh, or like Home Movies by uh, Brian De Palma. De Palma, <laughs> or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. no, totally. Uh, yeah, it's a so very it's intimate. Kind of, small gym yeah it's a very intimate film and one thing too that's kind of just something that dawned on me earlier was you know how he really is you know he makes a lot of films in this genre but he really reinvents the genre you know and he really takes like with like the zombie film you know he's totally yeah. reinvented and modernized it you know and here he's kind of doing the same thing with um the vampire genre you know because here you know martin is following this kid who you know is definitely you know he's like he's traumatized he has a he, he he's he kind of has a mental illness that keeps him separate from society and has a real compulsion you know uh that that's really driving him and and it kind of sets the stage for where these kind of modern vampire movies would go where you're kind of yeah, using the, i know what you mean yeah. <clears throat> you're kind of using the the vampire tropes as a metaphor for like addiction like you know, Abel Ferrara is the addiction or something, yeah, you know? So, so yeah, it really, and, and he, and he also does that with, you know, obviously the, the zombie genre too, and making it, you know, a social commentary, social satire. So he's always yeah. kind of finding ways to, you know, turn the genre on its head, so to yeah. speak. And Innovate I, I think, on it. Yeah. 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 It's sort of like deconstructing horror movies, right? Like, um, pulling them apart and like, and the way that Martin is like, uh, saying like well that's all fake you know that's all he's commenting on earlier works of fiction about vampires and stuff saying like oh garlic's not real that doesn't work or whatever so they're trying to strip it away and um it has this sort of uh uh it's it's being vague about whether or not he's like uh really a a vampire or if he's like actually just some kind of deranged boy and i think that psychological um underpinning of the film like for me like it it gave it a sort of uh it always had among my crowd. It had sort of a that I came up with like watching films like at that you know in the early days the Alamo and stuff. People like Lars. This film had sort of a reputation for being like like the hip choice of Romero movies to check out because it's low budget and because it's psychological. So like it before I even saw it, I knew it was the, I knew it was a good pick off the shelf. You know because people right. that I I liked 
uh, people here. that I admired were, were into it. Um, but yeah, I think that psychological underpinning and, and deconstructing horror makes it really uh, so fascinating for people. It makes it just sort of eternally relevant too, because we still have like all these tropes of like vampires and werewolves, all that shit's still in culture, sure. like, super hard. Totally. And but we also have like uh, like serial killers are like super hard in culture now, which they weren't like at maybe so much like when Martin first was being totally. developed. So totally. this feels pretty interesting, like kind of like a crossover where it's like in time where it's like a deconstructing van the old mythic like vampires and like you know uh, famous monsters. <laughs> yeah, famous monster type horror, like deconstructing that saying that's not real, but like here's a real monster. Is a guy that goes around and like murders people and think and he's insane and thinks that he's like and, a killer. And, you know, uh, thinks they, he's a monster. He does drink their blood, but it's in this like <laughs> like hard, yeah. grim <clears throat> modern context. I, I will say just today, I have some breaking news, gentlemen. That I never <laughs> knew this. I read in um, one of the cult movie books, you know, from the early '80s, and there was some interview that he's quoted as saying, "Well, the germ of the idea came from I was reading about this California serial killer who did drink the blood of his victims." And then I, and he didn't say it, but I know who it is. It's Richard Chase. I was going to bring that up from Sacramento. So there, so so he really is doing that. I mean, he's that the film is inspired by um, hmm. a case of a serial killer. And then like well Lugosi movies, and uh, and then he intersects right in the film. Yeah, we should just to throw onto that um, Richard Chase, the Sacramento Vampire, as he was also called in the in the papers, right, right. Um, kind of also linked to another low budget uh, film <laughs> much later, uh, William Friedkin's Rampage. If you've ever seen that movie, that oh, is. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh man, that's that's actually worth a potential one fucking hour. But it's an interesting right. flawed Pencil flawed film that that has a complicated right. editing history. But it is about Richard Chase, and you know I think there's a lot of links to that here because you know in this film Martin, you know it is about vampires. It has the tropes. We get the black and white flashbacks to some other time period where it's much you know this sort of gothic setting in a more traditional vampire film. Yeah. We're, we're we're sort of making commentary on vampires vampire films there's even a great scene in the movie where he dresses up as like a traditional vampire to scare yeah. his his uncle with uh, but, <laughs> the, the plastic halloween teeth and everything like ooh, ooga booga yeah which is superstitious catholic uh uncle yeah which is which is great but he's portrayed here as a blood junkie you know which is much more like disturbing and it gets into you know some bizarre psychosexual territory that i think is more modern yeah. and it's really and, rough and makes it yeah which is well much if more we can if we can sure i mean uh you know as we're as we're recording this now a very hot topic is the netflix show that's about jeffrey dahmer yeah and uh <laughs> i would have thought of jeffrey dahmer watching rewatching martin now but um it's certainly on my mind more than yeah. ever because there's some real similarities i mean totally ugh, he does drink people's blood but he also yeah. <laughs> There's times when Martin is saying like, because he, he 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 puts them. He tries. What his plan is to hit them with hypodermics and put them out. Yes. Victims out, so right. that they go to sleep. And he's like, I'm not. I don't want to do anything to you that causes you pain. I just want you to like lie down and go to sleep. And that is right. like from Jeffrey Dahmer's you know mouth. And it's like, what the fuck, dude? Like that's yeah. creepy. Parallel. Right. Yeah. Right. That is so weird. That because people you you when you're first learning about serial killers you think like these people are like like to kill and enjoy killing and they want but then so it gets so much twist it gets so twisted when you realize like 
that the killing is just a side effect of all the gross things that they actually want to do, you know, well, like depends all on the, the horrible person. things. Yeah. No, I'm yeah. saying, well, yeah, I'm just saying that some, I said some of them, but, um, so yeah, I mean, when you see the, the psychosexual underpinnings of it is, yeah, well, it's, yeah. it's hard to also not see the similarities between the Dahmer things. I told, that's exactly what I was thinking of also because, you know, this movie is also, you know, about loneliness, you know, and, and both, yeah. Oh, characters yeah. are severely isolated, incredibly totally alienated, un alienated, unable to connect, you know, with people um, at all. And they also, you know, have these lavish fantasies and they, you know, talk right. about talk about the fantasies. And also, if you notice, too, in the um, I'm sure we'll get into it when we talk about kind of the that middle section where he invades the, the home invasion scene. But he. um he is kind of also narrating that with some interesting lines of like after like after he commits the crime in the house he's sort of like well maybe someday you know i can do this without the blood and someday maybe i'll get to do it awake without the blood part just do it with somebody and then be together and talk all night you know, right. and, and, you know, I'm doing this and, you know, and so, and that also was reminiscent even in the speech patterns of the actor who's portraying Dahmer in the Netflix show. Like it I really, know. it really feels it very chill. similar. It was extra chilling. Yeah. yeah, was yeah. Extra chilling. Can I just make one observation? Just, I want to put a button on Romero if yeah. I can. Sure. And I'm sorry. Oh, okay. it's, it's like a little late, like, cause we've, we've shifted right. all these great places, but just to yeah. put a button on it, I wanted to throw out there that the thing about Martin that really distinguishes it for me is um, he did something that George Lucas did not do, in my opinion, uh, because for George Romero, the Georges, uh, for George Romero, zombies are Star Wars, meaning like, <laughs> you know, every decade goes by and he can't get financing for this, this and this, and he wants to do this, this and this. But they're like, oh, we'll just totally bankroll anything. Just call it of the dead. You know, and he's like, okay, fine. Maybe I'll try to make this interesting. And it sounds a little frustrating. And that reminds me of George Lucas, who's like, everything keeps settling back to Star Wars. And he does that to himself. But yeah. the thing is, is that Romero did a great thing. And he bucked that. And he didn't just fall in line. And because Martin is really, really different than a zombie attack movie. Totally, I mean, there's, totally. There's a to yeah. It's a totally different animal. So I, I really want to just shout out to him and respect him yeah. for that. If you know? I can, if then, if you're going to put a button on a past thing, let me put a button on something so, too. That's it. Um, Wait, let me, are we talking about serial killers? Because I'm not done talking about serial okay, killers. Okay, well, so. then I, I'm, I'm going to bring it back there. Because uh, okay. let me put a button on Dahmer, and then you're next. Um, the last thing, just about the, the comparisons between you know Dahmer being in the zeitgeist in this movie and everything, is also with this character in this movie, Martin, You know, it, it's also that he has this obsession and this fixation, this compulsion that he doesn't even understand. You know, he's, he's coming to terms with trying to understand it. And that's very reminiscent of the show, too. And it's also, to me, also tracking this sort of doomed attempt at him trying to achieve intimacy. And that also is very Dahmer. Yep. And, and just, just, it's just very on the same track. Well, I guess and it's, it's, a, it's a, they have the same pathology. And I don't know what Romero, maybe Romero did research or he just kind of thought this all up. I wonder. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird, but yeah, it's so that's so. I mean, that's what I was going to mention was like it, it's this trope that goes through a lot of serial killer stuff, and it's so interesting that this is in this so early because I was thinking, um, 
you know, as long as we're on the subject of serial killers that start with a duh and end with an er, I wasn't actually thinking about Dahmer when I was watching this. I was thinking about Dexter because uh, there's like these like tropes that appear in that show too. Like he's got the hypodermic needle clenching oh, yeah. his teeth. He's really he's really introverted. Yeah, he can't really. You know, it, it's a trope of. I wonder. I mean, it's such an accurate thing that they pick up on like that type. I mean, but I mean, I don't know. It's just it's weird that like. This film is so early in picking up on that stuff that, like, we kind of take it for is. granted now that the. It really is. Oh, it really is. Oh, I mean, I mean, of course, we didn't understand any of this stuff. I mean, we were putting these people to death, you know, before we understood the pathology, you uh, know. Right. And, Isn't this and, before, like, the FBI put together that uh, <laughs> unit to go track people down and stuff? You know, it's like, before even... <laughs> the term serial killer. Yeah, it's right. Yeah. It's crazy. And and then and to even think about too that the film is even kind of smart enough, I guess, to also ride that line between empathy for the outsider, but then also here's the intruder predator, you know, and then know. and then we're going to examine the tension between those two, like between those two. We're going to show you the empathetic side, and then we're also going to remind you, no, he's a horrible fucking terrible person too. I know, yeah. Yeah. And Which that's just not unlike the Dahmer show on that. Right. I know. Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah. It's strange oh. just the timing's a little strange for us i mean just because we didn't we didn't say hey let's do martin it's kind of like the Dahmer thing that everybody's no. watching we didn't no at all you know no 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 sort of um, weird things. if kind i can if i can just kickstart a new topic before we yeah, get yeah. into the film and the scenes and everything because there's so many great scenes to talk about in the movie is i, I just wanted to kind of start with talking about <clears throat> how low budge this movie really in fact is because it's really kind of remarkable that the actual figure is that we're actually talking about a hundred thousand dollar budget here for this movie um you know they, they've even put other numbers out that are more inflated out there to make it seem like it was a bigger production but the real number okay. is about a hun- about a hundred grand and just oh. and and it's the type of low budget movie where we're filming at the fucking sound guy's house. Like the sound guy's house is the location, you know, for, right. for the movie, you know. Um, and of course, you mentioned it's a collaboration with a lot of friends. You know, you have uh, George, uh, George Romero's soon, soon to be wife is kind of the female lead um, in the film. Mm-hmm. And he, what she wrote the script kind of tailor made for her, which I thought was pretty cool. And I also thought was cool, too, is that the DP for this film, this was his first film. And I think he did a killer job. And um, yeah. He, yeah, and, and he's from, and this is kind of a throw to you, Tom, he's from the Pittsburgh suburb, whatever it is, of Braddock, Pennsylvania, right, right. this post-industrial kind of nightmare. Right. And so he's he's from there, so obviously he's capturing it beautifully, you know, in terms of this right. depressing... He has an eye for it. He's not like some West German guy who's like... Which, that might be interesting, too. <laughs> but he's like, uh, <laughs> like, like, no, no, let's go down this alleyway because yeah. I know that, like, it's... Yeah, the rust is going to be falling into the, you know... <laughs> so, like, yeah. the water or whatever. No, you're right. And well, you know, it gets even weirder because there's actually a, an MVP in here named Tony Bubba. Tony Bubba. B-U-D-A. Tony Bubba. And he uh, he has his own films and they're documentaries about the town Braddock. I, I don't I wouldn't call it a suburb. It's more like, um, yeah, I don't know Rust what it is. Stuff. Yeah, it's like okay. a the town where um, that uh, John Fetterman was the mayor of, right? The guy, the guy's running for Senate against Dr. Know. Oz. Yeah, he I was the mayor of that town. And it's oh, still wow. kind of a it's still kind of a. Um, I think it's still kind of you know falling apart, you know. But he was when he was the mayor. Trying to build it back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Braddock wow. is um, not suburban. It's just outside. It's an industrial hellhole, kind of just outside of the town of Pittsburgh. And Got it was it. a steel mining town. It's one of those Rust Belt things where like uh, the the factory jobs dried up, and then there's nothing, and then everything's just decaying. There's no tax money. 
to like keep up the roads, you know, and you see it in the film and it's a, one of the great depictions of um, 70s malaise that I've seen, you know, in all ways, like from the grocery store to the hobos to literally the rusty alleyways. Um, it's, a, it's a great snapshot. And yeah, it was 16 millimeter, like you're saying is cheap. And uh, everyone is helping out. Even we got early OG Tom Savini guys. Yeah, yeah. Him. And he's Pre-stash. doing the, the yeah, right. Yeah. True. He's doing the minimal. <laughs> he's doing the minimal effects. No heads mm-hmm. are exploding. Right. But he goes. He goes. Uh, hey, we need somebody to play like somebody's brother for a second. Like Tom will do it. Go. And he's like, Hey, everybody, I'm a character in the movie for two seconds. And 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 then guess what? Even the director's like, I'll be the priest. Uh, forget it. And, and George Romero <laughs> sits down and is the priest. So. Yeah. And it's, there but was it's some funny backstory on on Savini, mm-hmm. like just being in like he was a local, local local theater kid, and they did like a production with him, and he was like that that, that was like they were going to make it to a movie with uh, you know like Romero did like a theater production that Savini was an actor in, and then like oh. they never went to uh, never became an actual movie, but they still became friends or whatever, and then Savini went off on his own and like learned how to do that stuff, and then came back and like I think he came back to the movie like and wanted to be an actor in the movie. And oh. it's kind of like, hey, I also do this now. And okay. it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, you know, like, oh, there you go. Yeah, because it's early on in his kind of career in that way, you know. Um, right. And, and yeah, and, and, and one thing, too, just about the Braddock of it all is I think there is a subtext that's in the film, you know, uh, sort of about the economic depression of the, I mean, they actually work that into the film. I, I know the uncle character, Kuda. We got to talk about Kuda. He, uh, yeah. Tony Bubba and Kuda. Uh, he talks know, about, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. he talk, he does Maybe. talk about like, he kind of makes references when he's sitting around in the kitchen to like what's going on in, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the surrounding yeah. community and everything. And I think there is, you know, we're talking 78, it's post Vietnam war, you know, we're talking about, you know, the trauma and the kind of things from, you know, out of that too. And I think it's a cool snapshot post of Watergate, that. That's, post Watergate. Know? That's also just worked into the aesthetic of this movie, which I think is super cool. Anyway. Right. Well, it's actually, like you're saying, it's actually 1976. So it's that, it's that, right, like, right. like like bicentennial like um, mural that's like faded and like cracking paint, you know, like uh, yeah. And you know what? It's actually not unlike Devo. Not to get totally sidetracked because that's Akron, Ohio, and they were this bizarre manifestation from like like a scream from the Rust Belt, you know. So there's a lot of weird energy that's cool energy coming from mid '70s Rust Belt, and that's totally ignored because again, what I really love is any film. It gets it gets a plus for me if it's not in the coasts. It's like oh, like uh, okay, New York, sure. And like for me, a lot of times L.A. is nowhere. It's just like Culver City. Like it's not even any setting. But when you've got the richness of like, there's I love black exploitation movies set in uh, small areas like Galveston, Texas. I think this movie Together Brothers is setting Galveston, Texas. And guess that. what? It's a fascinating, enriching experience just because of the location. You know right. so. Anyway, it's one of those things. The, yeah, oh, it's another character, the film. Uh, the, totally, the, the, and 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 an asset, you know, because it's like since uh, uh, Romero's like from there and like uh, and and primarily worked there, he's able to kind of uh, get so much out of the location. He's not going into a place shooting a low budget, like we're going to get a tax break in two if we shoot in Tucson, kind of thing. You yeah, know? right. He's like, I'm going to be able to call up these people that I know to like cook for the crew or whatever, you know, just like you kind of, you're able to push the money so much further. And that's like, that's one thing that's so cool about this movie is like, you can tell it's cheap when you watch it, but it's way, you don't know how it's, it's way cheaper than you could ever imagine. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. 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 I think it is. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but of course it looks great. 
And it just it shows does. that uh, there's a lot of ta raw talent that George has, and he got a good eye. He's picked a lot of good talent. Even the lead, I was you know, just going to mention the lead, John Amplis, who he saw in a theater production too, by the way. And, uh, well, the thing is, Martin was going to be like in his 40s in the script originally. I was just reading about this. But he just saw Amplis and said, well, you just change the script and you're going to be like young. You're going to be 20, even though the guy was such a better idea. And <clears throat> yeah, no, I know. But yeah, it would have been an older guy. And I guess because maybe Richard Chase was kind of older. I don't know. But like yeah. um, uh, anyway, Amplis. And what, what gets me is that Amplis, I've been an Amplis watcher for years. And, you know, <laughs> you, and just for, for, for you guys listening now, you will see a glimpse of him as a Puerto Rican gang leader in Dawn of the Dead for two seconds, and then he's gone. And it's like, what the hell? And then I think, ah, don't quote me, I think he's in this movie called The Fuck, The Blood, um, fuck, I'm forgetting the name. It's Blood it something, ah, forget it. But like, um, it, for two seconds, in this incredibly cheap film. Uh, um, he's in Creep Show like, too, right? Yeah. Oh, he's also, he is in Day of the Dead, as a more real character, he's the, uh, uh, one of the, not, civilian people on Day of the Dead. I just rewatched that. But anyway, I'm just saying, like, he's interesting, and I was hoping we'd see more from him. Because he's, it's it's pretty weird, guys. Like, a guy who's a total unknown is carrying an entire film. And he does yeah. a good it's job. insane. He does a great yeah. job. Yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah, he's, he's amazing. He's in Night Riders for a minute, another Romero fl oh, weird yeah. flick. And, yeah. <clears throat> so weird. And he's playing yeah. an introverted character that doesn't talk that much, you know? Like, he talks yeah. a little, but Most like, yeah. uh, yeah, There's I mean, a lot he, of he described as mute a lot and are exactly. pretending to be deaf. And yeah, he's, uh, he's got, but he's got a good expressive face. No, it's a great performance by. And he looks, he looks sort of like a classic monster in a way. He like he he looks like a vampire too, and just enough. He kind of looks out. like uh, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he kind of looks like a young Angus Young to me. That's what I see when I see. Uh, Interesting. I totally hear you. You know what I'm wowie, saying? Wowie. but mixed with like something else a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Nice yeah. That's what I well, see. So do do we want to get into some, you know, set pieces like some, you know, like Yeah. Sure, yeah. One one, one thing I was going to say before we get into it, um kind of interesting, you know, on the on the Wikipedia page I noticed that there was a quote from George Romero about the film and sort of talking about that uh it's it's a cool quote. Obviously he says it kind of in the same breath as it being one of his his favorite movie that he did of his own. Uh and he says here Martin is designed to that all those supernatural monsters that are part of our literary tradition are, in essence, expurgations of ourselves. They are beasts we've created in order to exercise the monster from within us. I tried to show in Martin that you can't just slice off this evil part of ourselves and throw it away. It's a permanent part of us, and we'd better try and understand it. Again, going back to that idea of like understanding the pathology, and maybe that, so maybe he really yeah. was tapped into that and researching that because that's what really is remarkable about this been. movie you know yeah yeah so because he's not just a killer like it, no. you know, it's not lazy it's not like and then he stabs the person and then he walks away it's like there's a whole pathology there's a whole world mm -hmm. going on right and uh you know what i mean and it's complex and that's what the film is doing that's what the film is you know yeah. it's an exploration Essentially. It's, and it's presented vague enough at times to where you're not sure, like if he's a Drac, if he's Dracula, or if he's like Walter Mitty, and just imagining this stuff happening too. Right? There's enough. It gives you enough room for doubt here and there. Like, well, maybe sure. he didn't kill that girl on the train, or maybe he, you know, maybe the maybe those flashbacks that you mentioned earlier are actually just fantasies. You know, so like, mm -hmm. there's enough room there for you to 
to yeah. doubt up until I mean, at a certain point, I think you get to be pretty sure that he's at least like killing people, <laughs> but you're still not sure like. <laughs> But, yeah, you know. to the, in what way, to the extent, and all that. I know. Well, well, you know, I was reading, and no one's sure if the uh, woman in the house attack, the house um, scene, it's not resolved about what happens to her because he kills the boyfriend who's run outside. Mm-hmm. But you're not sure what happens to that woman. And, and right. I thought back, I was like, yeah, you don't. You know, so, well, the film is, it's, it's a bit of a fever dream. Absolutely. It is. And one of the other elements that they use in the movie, too, to further blur the lines, which is kind of weird, is this idea that there's like this familial like vampire history that they have, you know, or something right, where, right. where it like we runs in the family. The bloodline curse. Yeah, that yeah. There's a curse. There's a curse. Old world shit. <clears throat> Old world shit. There's a curse in the bloodline. And of course, uh, uncle Kuda is the guy who's kind of the gatekeeper yeah. of that. And, but, and so that kind of blurs right. the lines too. Um, but anyway, yeah. yeah. Should we get into the movie now? I think, uh, <clears throat> so the movie opens, you know, uh, with, uh, a grisly scene on a train here where we're introduced to him and, and, and him, I mean, he murders her, right? I mean, that's what happens. Um, it sure looks like it. It sure it's looks pretty like rough. It. It's a pretty rugged right. scene. And, and that's the way that we're sort of introduced to the character. And At the then end of that scene, you get the kind of a thing where like, he's nervous and then everyone's like looking for this girl. And then, you know, uh, another girl with the same hair walks into the frame and they're all, and they're all relieved to, to see her so it gives you yeah. a second to think like Odd. oh maybe he didn't kill her and that's really her there and it's just a fantasy you know it gives you enough of a break there true yeah and it is weird because it kind of introduces also this idea that you know he's a monster but then he's also kind of regretful about what he's doing and it's it, it, it introduces the complex pathology like right out of the gate and then uh from there we soon uh sort of understand that he, i think he was living in indiana i think is what was happening and then he's coming now to visit extended family in braddock where he you know shacks up like we said with his uncle um and uh, the, the 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 female lead is his cousin, right? Is that what she is, or I do think you remember? so. Was she uh, Romero's wife? All, I, I think, the uncle says my cousins. daughter. Well, oh, maybe that's what daughter. it is. That's right. I think the so, uncle says my daughter. I, yeah. yeah, cousin sounds right. Cousin. So <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So then, um, so then, so then they're kind of he's introducing this family dynamic, but right off the bat, Uncle Kuda ain't is is trying to you know hex him, you know, in terms very of very warm welcome. Very you know, warm welcome. He's yeah. like, I'm. He's basically like, I'm keeping an eye on you. Yeah. And if any dead bodies show up, I'm gonna cut you down. Uh, yeah. And there's the bathrooms on the right. And, yeah. Uh, there's, yeah. There's new, new towels in the closet. Yeah. What the fuck, dude? Yeah. yeah he's yeah. telling him. Yeah. He's he's like, no, no, I'm your cousin. He's saying he's the Martin's the cousin, but there is his older cousin, and she's a niece, I think. I think that, I thought Whatever. that was the layout. So. Oh um, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's right. Kuda. Side well, note. Uncle Kuda, so it makes, you know, that's why he's uncle. Right. So, side note, Kuda is such a weird name, and we're having fun with it. And I was like, what? And it's just because he's supposed to own this, like, meat, uh, you know, like a, um, a butcher shop. And so they use the existing Kuda butcher shop. And they just went, oh, that's your fucking last name here. You know? <laughs> okay, okay. So that's why. And you see it in the yeah. film. You see the oh, Okay, right, 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 right. Amazing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but so so <laughs> early on, Tom, there's a lot of incredible set pieces. Is there anyone in particular that you wanted to 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 jam on? Because, I mean, like you, you had mentioned that home invasion scene, and that scene in particular to me has a lot got. of... Yeah, well, yeah, let's let's uh, let's jam out on it. Actually, this might be sort of fun. I'm just going to read my notes. 
as I was watching it. Very brief. Hold on. So it's I'm just writing tension and suspense using spaces, places, and time. Phone beeping. Shit, it's fucked up. Wait a minute. I gotta do it again. Doors and doors. And so uh, you know, <laughs> that's we beautiful conversation that way. Well, you know, it's, it's almost it's almost comical. <laughs> yeah, right. It almost sounds like it. No, but it's almost gets comical. because I'm, re I'm really serious. There's so many doors and I've always been mystified and I don't want to know what the layout is of this house because it seems so strangely complex. Like, well, you know, you go down a few steps and there's a door, but then you turn and there's another door and then the door goes to the door to the next door. And it's like it's kind of hallucinatory. Yeah. And it also adds to uh, it adds to a certain kind of like um like Lewis Carroll madness, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like I wrote you know? I wrote I wrote uh, late sixties mid century modern labyrinth. That's what I wrote uh, mm -hmm. watching the scene, and it's just like because all all the different textures on the walls, like there's like the weird yes. wood, there's like brick. Bathroom has a weird wallpaper. Yeah, there's very weird patterns and, the, and every room is a different pattern. And there's like these different shag rugs, like different color shag carpeting. Yeah. And, and everything, there's like steps. There's a lot of like those yeah. rooms that have steps and shit. No, like chateau kind of, kind of layouts, yeah. Yeah, but the yeah. MVP, fucking phone beeps, dude. Oh, but yeah. Go, I'm <laughs> dialing. Do, 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 do. I'm dialing. Do, 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 do. Get off the thing. Are you on the... And it's like... Do, 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 do. Louis, are you on the other phone? Louis! Hang up the phone! I love that. It was so... <laughs> yeah. It's such... It's like a... You know what it's like? It's like nightmare logic. It's like, aren't you on the phone? And it's like, I thought you were on the phone with me. And it's like, do, 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 what's the number dial? It <laughs> yeah. was great. It, it I forgot really the number. Tone, phone tone, too, right? Doesn't the scene end with this? Like, a, oh, yeah, yeah. No. Tone. The, Sorry. Go, go for Can it. I say one thing just real quick? Right before the phone scene, another nightmare logic moment in that, in that same scene. And, you know, this is just a pretty paint by numbers sort of, you know, in terms of the story. It's like a home invasion scene. Yeah. Martin's going in. He's basically follows this woman into her home, but then he's she's sleeping with another man there. But the scene that is uh, the moment that is very nightmarish is when he busts in there and he just stabs homeboy with the syringe and then leaves the room. But her reaction yeah. is, I don't know him. No reason to get upset about anything, okay? I don't know him. Dude, that's yeah. that's the MVP uh, line of the day. That yeah. one, um, it's like uh, because because the thing is the guy. Well, I mean, what logically the guy's thinking that's yeah. your husband. Yeah, and yeah. He yeah. caught us cheating. Right, and it's right, like, right. and she's like, full stop. That would be a problem over here, and that's yeah. a thing. But this is an enormous problem. Problem B, because I don't know this guy. He's a stranger, and he doesn't yeah. give a shit if you're my husband. It's oh. like it's like all bets are off because I'm disoriented. So terrifying. Oh, and then it's so scary. And then he, go ahead. Uh, last bit. Then it's you. Then it's your time. Just just tie it back to the phone. Then when she goes to the phone, it's beep 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 which is amazing. And then yes. she's like, I don't know. I lost the number. I forgot the number. I can't get through. I forgot the number. Wait, I'm. And yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. There, there, there's some realism in that that is very scary. Uh, just to say that now, Marcus. Thomas. No, I know because because uh, she's saying like nine one one, 
And it's like, that's the cops. And it's like, no, it's not. And it's like, call the local hospital. And she's like, I don't know the fucking local hospital's phone number. So she's calling information. Yeah. It's all very nervous uh, dream logic of like, everything's knotted and tied. and you're Anxiety dream. It's an anxiety dream. Marcus. Anxiety. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, just when you're talking about phone numbers, it's reminding me that like all of us used to probably have a place in our brain where we could file away just long lists of phone numbers, but that's all just gone. Now, all that room is uh, spared now, so we can think up uh, as filled with George Romero facts. But um, this the, the the thing that gets me is when he stabs that guy, he, he sticks a needle in that guy, and he's like, he shot me with something, and just the, the idea that you don't know, you got injected with something. I know. I don't care who finds out about us, he shot me with something. But you don't know what it is. Scary. And you're trying to think of what you can do to like, you know, to put a stop on the situation, a, a stopgap before whatever happens to you. And and it goes no. on for a long time. And just being witness to their back and forth, I think, allows you to put yourself in that situation and think about like what would you know, it's it's a it's a home invasion gone wrong. And the people like have enough time to kind of like process it and like talk about it. And I think that like just makes it even more Horrific well, to watch. I was on the edge of my seat. And I've seen this movie like so many times, but on this rewatch, I was it's, so it, edgy. It's, uh, I, I dare say it's always the scene that re that retains for me with Martin. Totally. It's, I'll say it's, it's one of the big scenes. I guess I'll qualify it in horror, but um, I mean, it's, if we're saying that horror, it's easily one of my favorite horror scenes. Um, it's 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 demented, but also masterfully executed. And you know, just total side note. You know, like I said, he was uh, known for making TV commercials in the 60s and try to look them up. They're interesting. And, you know, a lot of TV commercials, it's like jazzy, snazzy editing. And there's not a ton in uh, Night of Living Dead. You know, the pace is pretty slow, but he really exercises his like like jazz riff fucking editing <laughs> shots. Yeah, in yeah, this yeah. Scene. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean? and, well, there's also just like so many cool aesthetic choices that's that's being hit. You're being hit with at once that are that are also no budget uh, aesthetic choices. Uh, not not only just like the, the the labyrinth set piece that we're in, but also just obviously the writing being nightmare logic. The you know thing is so crazy yeah, yeah, too. Yeah. I'm dialing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but I also love, and I know you love this because it's also used to great effect in Dawn of the Dead. Is the fucking delay pedal shit? You know the sha 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 sha. You know, and that's also going on in the scene too. So you get that real awesome delay pedal stuff. But when you mentioned doors, uh, I, I, I this, this also a little detail stood out to me too is when dude runs out of the house, you know, and he locks he locks the dude out. Martin locks the dude out of the house, and then he runs back in and he chases after the woman, and then she is uh, running into some sort of like very tight closet space, uh -huh. and she oh, and yeah. and she's between two doors that have kind of pinned because her there's in. a door on the other side of that small closet. It's of course, in, yeah, there's another Which goddamn is, door. But I'm so glad we're yeah. spending like 20 minutes on this. I know, scene. I know, I know. That's what it's I was hoping. Great. It's great, and and but it's like that that moment seeing seeing that and just I don't know the choice to put the camera on the ceiling and say okay we're shooting yeah, the scene where yeah. she's stuck between two doors is really uh, a great no budget uh, tension uh, thing there. So I just had the hats off to that right. sort of set piece because it's very scary. It's very scary. Anyway. 
No, no, it's a great. It's just you can, you can deconstruct the whole movie, you know. And I'm glad you brought up the textures because I didn't consciously think of this, but every little quarter, little quadrant of this strange house does have a different tone to it, and I think it actually helps. I'm sure they didn't do any set design; they just you know they just walked into some house. Yeah, but like it helps you. I, I'm not maybe get oriented, but it does help you. Like it's not all just white wall after white wall. So there's all these dynamically different looking spaces so it's like it makes it almost more disorienting like now we're in the place that has this kind of wallpaper and it's like oh now there's shag carpeting and the lighting's different and like these are glass doors now you know what i mean yeah it's cool it's really cool the there's a lot of texture in the movie like the the camera lingers on a lot of interesting moments there's a lot of uh really beautiful close-ups of like i know some dolls some toys a magic trick you know cutting cutting celery even Cutting celery, yeah, uh, paper bags. There's just a lot of like, just really interesting close-ups on those things that, that stay with you, and it's just it's great. It's just really good filmmaking, I guess, and it that's is. one of the things that um, but I, know, again, someone who's I, a gifted I, filmmaker like him can can take it, it, all these it elements more, and make something great. It really feels like someone who did cut commercials for like eight years. It really does. You know, it's like a total compliment, you know, like, because I don't know, Night Lady Dead's awesome. And of course, it is great filmmaking in it, and it's a classic. But it's like the pacing and everything, uh, you know, and the wide shot after wide shot kind of thing. Um, it's different, you know, than, than there's a, it's a real punchiness when it needs to be in, mm-hmm. in Martin, you know. And uh, well, you could even talk about the shock ending, which got me the first time I saw it. Uh, because the film is like, as the pace, especially at that part of the movie, you know, he finds that ironically, and it's one of the great horrifying ironies is that the lady who he has been getting intimate with and sleeping with, she decides to take her own life. Guess what? With razor blades. And he's, and he just mumbles like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. When he comes upon her in the bathtub. But what I'm saying is it has this sort of languid, really, this one was a huge bummer, by the way. Right overall, but it has this languid bummer pace, and then it's like three, two, one. Nosferatu. Kuda, and he's like, fucking stop this now! And then, like, like you're seeing Martin getting hit with a fucking, uh, you know, blood splattering uh, stake, and it's just like, and then it's like, and movie's over, you know, and it's just like, uh, <laughs> it's just so punchy. I love great. that kind of stuff. It's great. And yeah. uh, and then we're not mentioning one thing, and I just wanted to bring this up. Uh, something I just learned today, too, I oh. think is really interesting, is we've got a little time for this. It's a tiny one-two thing. But, um, you know, there's, uh, there's supposed to have been voiceover. Yeah. Where, uh, right, okay, so continual yeah. Martin voiceover, pontificating, talking about his, himself. And I think he even might talk to camera. There's a hint of that because there's an, uh, one of the trailers – he is doing that. You guys should look it out. Everybody should seek that out. It's one of the yeah, seen the TV spot, right? Saw yeah. that? Yeah. My name is Martin, and I'm 84 years old. People think I'm crazy when I tell them how old I am, or else they think I'm some kind of ghost. From the director of Night of the Living Dead. And he's like, "Look, I'm Martin, and like, I need blood or something." And he's talking to Cameron. I'm Martin. I'm 84 years old. Some people think I'm crazy when I when I tell them how old I yeah. am. You know, like, oh, disconcerting. Whoa. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. if that. And I wonder like if commercial. That it's like a commercial. Yeah, there you go. But I just yeah. wonder if like the a voiceover was had a tone like that. And he maybe was like two cameras sometimes. 
I don't know. But, right, but what he I was did, there was going to be a lot of voiceover and a lot of dialogue, but he cut all that out, right? Which, yeah, yeah, it got yeah. a lot quieter. No, but what I'm saying is um, I wonder because there is some exposition on his inner life. I'll put it that, that way. Yeah, uh, yeah, there in, is. In, no, no, in the, in, in the radio conversation, he's talking to he's – he's on talk radio as the count. Okay, I might make a mistake. A mistake? I might make a mistake and get caught. Hear that, night timers? The count is getting thirsty. And there is some exposition, like I say, about his inner workings. And I wonder if maybe that was transposed from when, if we would have heard him doing inner monologue. And there was this more interesting, innovative. I love that. Yeah, I love that theory. No, I love that theory because it, it, because there's, you expect there to be some for, if they're going to introduce a radio host like that. You would expect there to be some sort of like foregrounding of it, like you might see the guy's cigarette and the, and the uh, microphone, yeah. in the control booth, or something, you know, so, or a radio or something. But it doesn't on the happen. air sign. <laughs> it's just Martin talking, and then you hear right. the guy going like, "You're listening to, uh, you know, the count." So yeah, you could. It does seem like that could be a save, and that there are like other interesting ways he's using. Um, audio to like explain martin's inner world too instead of just him talking but like, i noticed a moment he's like in his room just kind of sulking and you can hear christine and her husband arguing next door you know you oh, can yeah. hear them having an argument and he's just in the room sort of being introverted and processing that right. but it's like it's just another way of show of like taking the dialogue away from martin and but giving yeah. it like another give you another context so that you understand the the inner workings of the character's mind yeah it seems like george did this interesting final pass on the film and i'd like to know more i mean uh you know well we I, might I have a feeling we well might. that's the thing you want to get to the big news here this is actually the reason we're doing martin yeah because people might have heard in about a year cycle here because this was announced almost a year ago that the uh, that dp the, the the cinematographer we were talking about that young guy he found uh, the original version of the film, and uh, it's it's three hours, and it's all black and white, which is interesting because you know the fantasies are are black and white, and actually Romero wanted the entire film to be black and white, but of course the money guys, the producers, were like, no, we, we need red blood, we need red blood to yeah. be color. So um, anyway, this is the one he wanted, black and white, also three hours, and my mind is just reeling. Maybe that does have talk to the camera, voiceover stuff, and the radio. I don't know. And no yeah. one knows until you see it. But the good news is, is it's coming out like uh, within weeks because the company just announced that it is a pre-Christmas release. They're just doing the final touch. Wow. So there'll be a Blu-ray and maybe some That's screenings. I don't know, but That's yeah, amazing. three hour uh, or two hours and 45 it, minutes. It's so uh, interesting. I always wonder if like, I can never tell like if it's like just the, the actual story is lost to time and those are just marketing things. So it's like a three hour black and white movie. That, that just sounds like a work print, you know, like an answer like, print. A, to, to yeah, go to, uh, like it's in process. And he's like, he's working stuff out, but like, I don't know. you know, and they're going to call it the director's cut and stuff like that. You know I what know. I mean? As a marketing stunt. So it's always confusing yeah. to tell. I guess we'll find out, you know, we'll no one knows. Out. I mean, I, I, I tried to find out and everyone's doing what we're doing right now, which is guessing. Yeah. yeah. They're being a little cagey about it, um, but we'll find out, and, you know, it'll be released. Like yeah. meaning what I'm saying is like, there might be an incomplete, um, like Foley track. And then maybe, they had a, they're going to have one track in the audio that that has um, restored 
you know, like car starting sounds and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'm guessing, speculating, yeah, yeah. but uh, I don't know how complete this three hour one is. You're right. It's, but it's, at least the it's all black and white. It's going to be yeah. interesting to 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 really you know compare between the two and to know that yeah. this is going to be twice as long as what we're seeing now and just as a you know <laughs> I know a, 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 like what? you know there's what a whole nother movie you know within what? the movie there's yeah. going to be a lot more Braddock rust there is there's a lot more like like life on those streets you know what? and the texture it actually might be a lot like Mark Borchardt's Northwestern. It might have a you know, it might have a lot of. Uh, yeah. It might be the lost. More there might be more Savini character, like a yeah. full, like ten minutes on the Savini yeah. character, or the brother, or the boyfriend, or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. Well, we we'll find out. We're all going to find out really soon. Maybe we'll do another one fucking hour on the. Uh, we'll do an update. We'll do a little oh, bonus. Uh, yeah. So yeah. there was guess, uh, ahead, just, about, just to mention about you mentioned the red blood and uh, I was watching Tom Savini talk about the movie and he and this is a, like the, the blood color in horror movies has been something that's kind of just like confounded me since I was a kid. Right. Or just like in any old movies, you know, I would show my friends in high school like an old movie, an old, you know, uh, Suspiria or something. I'm not trying, you know, uh, trying to think of another like famous. Dawn of the, uh, the, the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. weird. Uh, Vampire, fearless, fearless vampire, Suspiria. Killers, you know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and people would be like, that blood, like their takeaway would be like, that blood looks fake, you know, yeah. and like I was just kind of looking past it and like being like, well, blood, yes, yeah, so you look like shit in these movies, but it was always stuck out as something that like it bugs people, and so it stuck out to me. And anyway, Savini's talking about it, and he's going like, well, of course the blood looks terrible in this, and he and he actually says why. He says like. Uh, yeah, he says it's the stage blood that looked good on, on in the theater productions. Right. Um, it's the Rams film stock. But in the movies, it looks like melted crayon, you know. But then he mentions right. this, like, Dick Smith formula that came out later that became mm-hmm. sort of like the, well, the staple standard. blood of movies. It, and Right. It, is it not, like, the film processing? Or, like, is it something with the film stock and why... Why that, that's I, I always thought, but I think he's saying that it's actually just this stage blood that like well, he has his own take on things, mm. like his own perspective. Because I think Evan, you're absolutely right. I think there was this unpleasant <clears throat> surprise with the processing uh, uh, going through and the color t- temperature and everything for Dawn of the Dead. For Dawn of the Dead, and I think they were like, "Oh shit, all the zombies' uh, makeup looks wrong." <laughs> like it was supposed to be like darker blue or something. And I think the red, like they did something thinking the red would wind up one way for the blood and done it. But then the color temperatures and stuff would happen. They're like just picking their battles. They're picking their battles probably yeah. with the color timing. And they're like kind of rolling the dice on those colors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, people, like the normal people's, like, you know, the, the non zombie people's skin tone has to be right at the expense of the zombies. Skin That's what I'm saying. Tone. Smart yeah, town, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Are they are they going to look like uh, orange but or something? I've they're, also they're heard live. Right. Yeah. I, I I've also heard too. Like another theory would was like the kind of you know X rating you know concept of like you know if you had like lifelike blood you were more you know likely to get the X rating. Oh, yeah, I've also right. I've oh, also right. heard that I've also heard that too is like another thing. But you never know if people that are blaming like it on combat. Like Did they it? made it green. No, they made the blood in Mortal Kombat green on Super Nintendo so that it would like oh. pass, you know, be but family guys, friendly, you know. Taxi driver. Right, taxi driver. Right. Taxi driver. Exactly. Was, that was gonna get an X. Right. And they said, Okay, That's here's the was. thing. You can keep you can keep the massacre of the pimps and, and drug dealers, but you have to desaturate the color like eighty percent. That's right. So, oh, right. so suddenly, suddenly taxi driver looks completely different. 
Right. Maybe it's something about, you know, some people look at blood and it makes them sick to their stomach and they throw up. Like, my dad's like that. He can't, like, look at a cut on somebody else without, like, oh. throwing up and getting, like, wheezy. Oh, like in real maybe. life, yeah. Queasy, yeah. I mean, yeah, so I think maybe it's, like, maybe there's something that's visceral that happens to the human reaction to, like, seeing accurate colored blood or they yeah. thought it was back then. Well, well that's and, why red, red means bad and danger because, you know, yeah. like, you know, <clears throat> like right, stop right. sign, you know. But I also I also think too about around this time period, you know, nineteen seventy six. Taxi driver is seventy six or right? Yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah. like like seventy six, seventy seven, seventy eight. You know, when MPAA is going hard on the blood thing, and you are seeing these weird blood colors going on. But I also <laughs> tend to think about a filmmaker like sure. Don Coscarelli, you know, who's making his own DIY shit. And then in Phantasm, another shout out to another one fucking hour episode. But he's like, okay. well, this this isn't going to be the problem because what we're going to do in this one season is make the homeboys fucking blood yellow, you know, right. or whatever it was. Right. Or green. Severed fingers, yellow yeah, blood, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I love it. We yeah. should do an hour on blood. Yeah, we are right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so we, we've got a minimal amount of time. I've got a couple bite-sized snack Go. things I wanted to bring up. Well, but then, uh, okay, well, let's just get out of the way. And then I th- just bring up maybe one other thing. But no, just um, one thing. I, I went down this great uh, wormhole today about Martin. They're, uh, of course, the Italians. They're insane. And I believe that um, oh, yeah. in, in preparing for Dawn of the Dead, I bet that that guy Rubenstein, you know, the producer, and, uh, and, and Romero were cutting these weird deals with the Italians. Because what I'm saying is, you know, Dawn of the Dead became zombie- and had guess what totally different music much more uh, goblin it was basically like a rock and roll almost like video game score unrelenting and it was and, and the edits were different somewhat so there's a different dawn of the dead in, in italy but there's a really really different martin yes that came out and it's called vampire vampire the w so weird and uh, i was looking as if i don't know i never watched it i knew about it but i watched some of it today and i was blown away first of all folks Highly recommend it. Instead of the the somber kind of like uh, bummer score of the original Martin, there's pulsating rock and roll, knock you out, jazz fusion, tracks, jazz yeah. fusion, like 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 people like you know like just uh, Martin like looking up the shadowy stairs early on in the film. It's like <laughs> and you think it's like it kind of silly, but it's really it's a, a lot of it's from Roller. Yeah, that, that, and the Frankenstein yeah. album, but then there's some original stuff, but it's mostly Goblin. So, uh, oh, and it's totally differently edited. The initial scene in the train is not how the, the uh, uh, vampire starts, and the ending's a little different. It's wild. So, uh, yeah. it came out in the uh, the Arrow DVD as a bonus. So, I highly recommend that to folks because it's a very fun watch in the shadow of watching Martin. Yeah, it's, it's so weird to think of like what you know what sort of production deal did they have like to do both those movies with like but what was going on between well uh, Romero and Argento Argento well, was the the, the this connection of tissue I, I don't know if if that's linked to Dawn of the Dead or not but I do know that Dawn of the Dead <clears throat> part of the financing for the movie was that you know um, Argento's Dario Argento's piece as a producer would give him right. the Italian distribution rights and so he could turn it into something that would be for the Italian market. And so I guess the right. Italian market wanted their jazz fusion, you know, interludes and, uh, Malls you know, yeah. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that they just, I have a feeling that they were signing paperwork and they just went, Oh, throw Martin in too, you know, and get it. That's what I think. Overseas. 
I really do. I just like like it's yeah. called Vampire Now and like Goblin's yeah. back, you know. And I love <laughs> that, by the way. And I love the God. wild willingness of life. It's like, yeah, I saw Martin, you know, uh, I saw it in Italy. And it's like, I love that first scene. And it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, you know what, that huge rock scene, like with rock and roll music? And it's like, what? You know? yeah. So anyway, so that's a, that's one of my favorite curios about the film. But um, mm-hmm. I was going to, uh, I don't know, you know, what's on your guys' mind. But I do have another note here. Sure. Uh, and it is about his sweaty, confused sexuality. Yeah. And that's kind of, we have five minutes here. And it's kind of a lot to unpack. Go and for because, it. Um, well, it's just like I'm just gonna bring it up. It's just uh, you guys, you know, whatever you think. Like he does fumble towards having something of a relationship. Yeah. Uh, with with the uh, you know he's um, he's seeing a married woman who he was delivering groceries to. She seems very sweet, very nice, and yeah. and actually genuinely likes him. She's not like using him, you know, like in the in the graduate like oh screwing a young man. Like she she found something in him that was vulnerable and you know, kind of sweet. She says that and. Um, and he's so weird about sexuality. First of all, he calls it like, you know, like when you do the sexy stuff, you know, the sexy kind of, stuff mm-hmm. without the blood. Yeah. We're doing the sexy stuff right. without it's, the blood. Yeah, it's a very it's basically I think, you know, because sexuality is um, a heavy adult thing. Yeah, you know, it's a threshold crosser. Totally. And I think he just hasn't matured sexually at all. And I think that's part, one of his maladies. Right. Uh, just throwing that out there, guys. Yeah, well, it, it, it does wrong. It does hint at the fact in the movie that maybe this character is going to turn a new leaf, you know, and it kind of is, is, which is a great dramatic choice for obviously the shock ending and everything. And and, and what you see is the two shock endings, the two shock endings, because we see her actually dead in the uh, in in the bathtub. But yeah. It's super bummer. He's like, I didn't do that, right? Isn't that what he says, or something like that? And that's also yeah, he just weird. Kept mumbling, like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And that's you know? nightmare. That's some nightmare shit too. Um, but it's but, because but, I did do it because I did the other razor killings. Yes, <laughs> this one exactly. Yeah. But Ugh. but that but is it, something go we. Oh, go ahead. Oh, it's nope, something nope. we see sometimes in, in in serial killer movies is that like they there that does happen sometimes where they try to have like a normal relationship. Yeah, I guess it yeah. gives it. You know, it's it's the emotional move that you need to have to feel bad for this person right before you you pull it. You know, you kill him. It does, hand, it does uh, hint with empathy at least you, generating it. Well, you I know, saw, in the, I read some. I just wanted. I read about. You know, I watched uh, Romero talk about this movie, and they're asking him about the the vagueness of it all, and like what what was the intention? You know, is he a vampire or whatever? And he does give an answer. It's sort of like one of those like Kubrick explains. Um, Two, uh, 2001 thing. Yeah. Don't Google that. Don't watch it. Okay, but um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, it, uh, but it's like uh, he does say Romero says like, oh, you know, I think he's just mixed up. You know, he's basically he's had this uncle tell him that he's a vampire his whole life. Right. You know? It's kind of like and Amityville. So he's just confused, and so that's yeah, why he's having this. Yeah. So that's why he's having this like fucked up relationship because he's just like I'm. I've been told it was a vampire since I was two years old, but like I'm. I'm having this boyish right. feelings come up. God, and, that's you know, like, so terrible. Yeah, no, and you're so right because well, um, you know the his daughter, you know the woman that bonds with Martin. She's she keeps saying to Kuda and everybody, she's like, stop with the superstition because you're fucking yeah. up people's heads, you right. know. And you're so right, uh, uh, dude. It's like, it's like um, you're too. You're a little dinged up in the head, and then um, it's answered. Like all your mental ding ding ups are answered by like old world superstition, and, and that's maybe very common. That's so common. 
And while we have two minutes, maybe it, maybe what's what uh, Romero's trying to say with those black and white flashbacks is those are actually the subliminal things that Cuda is implanting in the psychology of yeah. Martin. That here's this vampire lineage yes. that I'm I'm traumatizing you with. Dude, you nice know? one. Yes, yeah. of because yeah. I was applying it to like he watched dracula too much frankenstein <laughs> yeah it could be too like, but no no but yeah. no well maybe there's some bit of a mixture but i think he's you're right i think he's having like this imagining yeah. of the old world and back yeah. down in East europe wherever the hell they're from yeah wow because because he's, he's had to deal with cuda with the fucking garlic and the crosses yeah. and nosferatu incessantly who knows he was a baby oh, a baby yeah, yeah who yeah. knows and, and right and, and it's already at the, their relationship's already yeah. at the breaking point as soon as we meet them because he's like we see them together because they're walking far apart from each other yeah and yeah as soon as he gets to the house he's like here's the fucking garlic here's the cross it doesn't do yeah. it it's all it's all made up scary keeping an eye on you <laughs> scary and and just real quick while we have a minute left i just wanted to put it yeah what a total dick but it does like you know with that moment with when he meets the woman and it it hints at something better you know but then the movie is just so tragic in the way that you know then he's sort of uh just we 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 think there's you know going to be some redemption but then there's no redemption for this would-be vampire you know and then it sort of goes back to this negative sort of feedback loop where he's in isolation and loneliness and that's all that's left to him and then of course all of this that we're theorizing works even perfectly, even more so now for what the ending is. That Kuda is finally just fucking snaps, and you know he thinks he's yeah. a vampire hunter, and 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 uh, and kills this tragic, fucked up kid. Kuda's is as insane as he is. Yeah, I know. Kuda has yeah. as much of a fantasy bullshit world as he does. Exactly. And he, like he buries them in a garden and buries Amityville. the crucifix. Yeah, yeah, it's very Amityville too. Yeah, <laughs> very yeah. Amityville. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so it's all delivered in that that last shot that zoom pull out to reveal the stake against the heart is some fucking dynamic yeah yeah very heavy with the bloody face i love it (laughs) all right oh shit we did an hour we did it we did it um we did it man here's here's to george romero we only lost him a few years ago i know know? and 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 man he's he's someone we love i mean i think episode three of the of the of the, the third episode we ever did a year ago Dawn. Uh, was on, was on Dawn of the Dead. I mean, we loved uh, we love George Romero. He's a he's a he's a total yeah. one fucking hour ready. Not director. many people. I was going to say, not many people have gotten a, a return visit here on the show. I know. Yeah, totally. Now, yeah. And there's more. And there's more we could do. I mean, uh, you know, absolutely. Sure. Um, one fucking hour night riders might be pretty interesting sometime. Um, I <laughs> was thinking that actually. Yeah, that yeah, is a yeah. Major curveball. Yeah, that would be illy. That would I'm be. totally down. I'm down for that yeah. too at some point. So, all right. Well, that's the first uh, installment. The first week of one fucking tober, uh, uh, tober hoopy uh, over here on <laughs> one fucking hour. Um, Should we so, explain that in joke? Because I feel like we're going to keep saying that. You just which one? Last week, right? Oh yeah, I, I can do it every week uh, because it ties into one fucking tober in the fact right. that um, uh, let me just explain it all because this whole month is our one year anniversary. We're we're gonna be looking at since it's October, we're looking at horror movies only for the month. We just did Martin. We're gonna be doing the Entity next week with special guest Ramy, oh, and get ready for this, guys. You don't even know what's going to be coming out on this show because we're not just going to be talking about the movie, but we're going to be talking a lot about the backstory, the true story, the true story behind it, and yeah, also some other road. weird ephemera tied to this movie that you won't even Can't believe wait. exists. You know what? I'm, I'm going to be a, a viewer this time. You know? I can't yeah. wait to watch. Yeah, and I don't know anything. <laughs> of, okay, about good, the good. Keep it that way. Keep it that way. And <laughs> okay, Marcus... Okay. 
All I got to say is, Marcus, you've never seen it before. I'm going to say this to you on air. No fucking laptop viewing of this movie. This is a movie with on on, on the big screen TV. We got to get the sound going. Oh, You're going to have to figure that out. I don't know, okay. brother. All right. Not I on your phone. My phone this is no <laughs> so phone. It's, called, it's in it's in TT, right? That's how you spell it. <laughs> No, you got it. You got it, brother. Go ahead. Uh, no, it's uh, the it's the, it's the entity from 1982, starring Barbara Hershey. Incredible sound design. You got to get the full effect uh, of this movie because it really is an. It, the first half is a audiovisual treat. Um, so there's that. Um, and then um, that's next week. That's next week. And then the week after that, we're going to be doing one fucking hour in ganja and Hess. That's Tom's joint, right? So that's more, well, yeah, hopefully all of ours. But, like, um, it's just I, I knew we were going to do this movie at some point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's such a monster. But side note, I only realized today that we're going to be doing in this October session two mid-'70s mutations <laughs> of vampire mythology. Love it. There's a lot of parallel. I was going to bring it up, actually, in this podcast. Maybe we'll talk about it in that one. But, yeah. like, there's so much parallel about – there are two films that, and, and Ganja predates Martin, of course, and they pre uh, they um they both um, reference vampire mythology, and uh, and mutate it, and make it their own, and blur reality and and the fiction, and it gets and they both get into irrational religiosity, and in our modern world, and they both also had weird direct-to-video re-edits uh, as well, uh, which we'll be getting into. Yeah. So another Blood weird couple. parallel. Blood couple. Yeah. Uh, and then we're going to close out uh, one fucking Tober with uh, the ultimate uh, Tober Hoopy, which is <laughs> 1989's uh, Canadian Canuxploitation shot on Super 8 film, Things. Uh, literally in, in uh, absolutely unintentional video art uh, trash film yeah. uh, from the late 80s, but I love it. I released it once on DVD. I have a lot of uh, a lot of love for the film, and we're having special guest Joey Izzo return because it is right, a childhood right. favorite of his. Um, I actually have a friend that has a Things tattoo, one of our listeners. I don't know if you know this, Tom. Oh, my. Freaking God, no. One of our regular <laughs> listeners uh, has a Things tattoo on his uh, foot, so maybe we'll get a picture of that Shh, for everyone. I was everyone. wondering where. <laughs> yeah. All right. Send, uh, us, yeah. send feet pics. Get a snap. Get a yeah. feet pic. Yes, feet pics. Feet yeah. pics. <laughs> feet pics for the show. Feet pics and, or, uh, or, or it didn't happen. <laughs> and the reason we call Toby Hooper, Toby Hoopy, is because the, right. the wonderful uh, Canadian, uh, the wonderful Albertan director uh, behind Things, Mr. Barry J. Gillis, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about him. He's also the star of the film. Uh, that's that's what he calls Toby Hooper. So we call it Toby Hoopy. So it is, uh, what is it? Tober Hoopy. It's either one fucking Tober yeah. or Toby Hoopy. Tober Hoopy. Yeah. I'm going to start calling it October Hoopy. Okay, you know? that's pretty good. Because it's just so fucked up. Because hopefully people will get acclimated to the okay. incredibly obscure reference we're making. I don't think okay. that's, I think only you know that, Evan. I think you, I think if Getting, from my understanding, this right. You were just talking to him at some film festival or something, and he's just on saying, the phone. Like, "Yeah, oh, no, okay." Well, and it was like, "Go ahead." 
I'll tell you exactly what it was. It was I had I had a bunch of friends over at my house. Uh, random, get a phone call from Barry J. Gillis, the director of Things, because we're gearing up to release the DVD, and he was about to explain to me the various uh, special features that he has prepared for the DVD release. And he's like, "Yeah, you know, we got this the behind the scenes, you know, and this and that." And he's like, "Oh yeah, I, I sat down with Toby Hoopy, and we talked about the movie, you know, <laughs> whatever." And and it's an amazing special feature that we have to dig up for that episode okay. because it's literally footage it's literally footage of uh, of Toby Hoopy sitting down watching the trailer to things and his reaction to it is priceless he just watches oh. the trailer and he goes that's right far out <laughs> far out you know whatever and it's wow. just like it's the best so so we're oh going to get God. into all that uh, we're going to read yeah. into that now that's the rest of uh, October, October Hoobie yeah so See you thank you guys yeah thank you so much <laughs> and thank you thanks again for one fucking year we, we really appreciate you all so much um, awesome. subscribe to the channel like the video uh, tell you know, your friends tell your friends ring that bell for when the new uh, episodes smash drop smash that subscribe button smash that subscribe button I always um, wanted to say that <laughs> yeah yeah smash that <laughs> um, we should probably do that every episode um, but okay, and uh, we leave can't leave comment. you guys. Leave a comment. Thank you. Leave a comment too if you can. Um, all right, guys, uh, we can't leave you without though that beautiful, wonderful moment of zen. All right, everybody, have a great rest of your October, and we'll see you soon. See ya. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. That was wicked, man.